Well, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Mark Rondo. I have the opportunity of being one of the associate pastors here at Life Church. And once in a while, they let me up here and have a microphone. So this is cool. And uh, we're continuing on in our series on Ephesians this week. How many of you guys have been enjoying Ephesians so far? Anybody else's world getting rocked just a little bit? Right. You thought, oh, that's Paul's little letter. Oh, no. If Paul has something to say, it has some significance to it, right? The book of Ephesians will change your life. Um, so today we're going to focus on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. And we're going to be going over this next little phase. And I took a little bit of a journey in learning about a group of people called the Gentiles this week. Um, I've learned about who they were and why there was this division, why there was this gap between them and the Jews. Why was that significant? So this morning, if you're all, if you're all right, which you have to be because I have a microphone now, we're going to go on this journey and we're going to look at, okay, what exactly did the Gentiles do? Like what was their part in history? And I was intrigued when I found out Wow, the gentle Gentiles sound just like us. It was crazy that we were just like that. And sometimes we still are because we're human. We're kind of dumb that way. We develop these gaps and these chasms all on our own. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 13. It should be right there. Look at that. It's a cool screen. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens, burn, by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizen, wow, citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises that God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. 2021. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Amen? Amen. And I think it's cool because a lot of times in Scripture we're told as believers, as Christians... To remember. We're told to remember the things that we were, but also remember what God is doing in the present and what God's going to do in the future. But it's also healthy to remember where we came from. First place that this occurs in Exodus chapter 13 when Moses said to his people, This is a day to remember forever, the day you left Egypt, your place of slavery. Today the Lord has brought you out by the power of his mighty hand. So whenever you go through that hard time and you remember that victory and those, those amazing moments that you had in the presence of God, and then you feel like, oh, I am walking through the valley of the shadow right now. Remember those victorious moments that where he brought you out, he can do it again. He's really good at it. And he doesn't get tired of it. You're not a burden to him. He's just excited when his kids call on his name and say, God, I need you. 
instead of trying to take it on themselves. Anybody been guilty of that? You don't have to put up your hand if you don't. I will because it's been a few times. Throw out the shoulder. Another, probably one of the most famous places we're told to remember things is in the New Testament. Luke 22, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it says, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We call that the Lord's Supper. We call that communion. We celebrate that here at Life Church the first Sunday of every month. We come together and we have communion together, the Lord's Supper. Not just because we think we need a snack on the first Sunday of every month, but it's a moment to honor and reflect and worship a God who sacrificed it all for us. And he gave his son. See, if we remember the death of Jesus, we will be less likely to sin than if we forget his death. If we keep his death and his resurrection in the forefront of our minds, then we have a less tendency to do the wrong thing. Because if we're focused on him, then we're no longer focused on ourselves or our situation. Make sense? That's powerful. That's a healthy place for us to be in. And if we need repentance and we remember that we had been, when we were faithful, we will desire to be, to be faithful again. If we remember what God did in the valley and brought us to the mountaintop, then he's going to want to do that again. And he will. But, as you may have heard it said before, that God is a gentleman. God is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself. He's not a dictator. He's not in the business just for like, ha I told you. Although he probably could do that a million times over, probably in each one of our lives. But he's a loving God. See, as believers, we're told over and over again, and even commanded to remember where we have come from, where we are right now, and where we are going. It's important. We're reminded that who we were apart from Christ, who we are in him, and who we will become in Christ. How many believe that you have fully arrived in Jesus today? You're fully, you're fully fulfilled. You have reached the end game. Sweet. Welcome to the club. Great answers. We haven't arrived, have we? Because there is so much that God wants to do in and through us that if we're still here, then he is not done. He's got a purpose and a reason why we are here, and it's exciting. Sometimes, the, you know, the thrill, of the, the thrill of the chase, so to speak, it's exciting. Are you all excited? Just check it. Put your fingers up here and look for a pulsing and see if that's active. Just checking. All right. <laughs> Here's the problem when it comes to where we were in Christ, where we are now, and where we will be in him, is that our, our memories are short and our gratitude wears thin. Our memory gets short because how many times have you been in a situation, and this like happens a fair bit to me because human and a guy. But how many times have we gone through a situation and we feel like we hit this wall or we feel we're in this rut 
And yet we do everything in our human power to make, make something different or change our own atmosphere or change the situation around us. And yet all we have to do is drop to our knees and ask God to help. And he says, I'm here. Been here all along. Just, just waiting for you to get your act together. Anybody ever done that before where it's like, right? One of the students I taught last year in eighth grade, he came up, he had this line, and I'm like, dude, that's genius. I'm going to use that, like, all the time. I'm just not paying you royalties. Um, and, I always, and I talked about how people will see God as their 911. It's like, well, if things are going fine, oh, my gosh, I'm in. Oh, my gosh, God is so good. And when things aren't going bad or things are not going as well, God, where'd you go? Where have you been? I don't feel you. <laughs> He's like, I'm still here, pumpkin. Still here. It's significant because he never leaves us nor forsakes us, and he is always with us. So God doesn't just need to be our 911. He needs to be our 24-7. That was the line. And I'm like, dude, that's genius. I'm writing it down. And I did. And every time I would say it in chapel or in class, he looked at me. Thank you, buddy. See, we're told in verses 11 to 12 that at one time in their lives, the Gentiles in Ephesus, and one time in our life, who we were also Gentiles, were formerly at a natural disadvantage to the Jews. And this morning I want to take a look at what were these disadvantages that the, that the Gentiles had. Because I think it's intriguing that, you know, we talk, always talk about, if you read the Bible, it talks about there was this gap between the Jews and the Gentiles. And then I was like, why? What was this gap? And I started reading and I started studying and I was like, oh, those are some significant gaps. So this morning we're going to look at, are you ready? Five things. I know. <laughs> Mind blown. Buckle up because here we go. So the first thing is that the Gentiles were naturally separated from Christ. They were, they were naturally separated from Christ. Not just in a spiritual sense. They were like physically not even in the same place. So it was hard. They were called uncircumcised heathens. Which, I mean, ouch. I'm like, how dare you? It's not something you'd get tattooed on your arm or something like that. It's like, I'm the chosen one or the non-chosen ones. We wouldn't do something like that because there's, a, there's like a derogatory thing that's attached to that phrase. This was the most direct term to describe the fact that the Gentiles were outside any covenant relationship with God. So they had no... On paper and in their world at that time, they had no chance of this covenant relationship because they were physically outside of it. But see, circumcision did not bring righteousness. It only gave an outward evidence of their faith. It didn't like, oh my gosh, I've been circumcised. I have a whole new level of righteousness. No, it was just like a symbol of their faithfulness to God. Just like today, we are going to see some amazing people get baptized in water. Amen? Yeah, stick around. Come celebrate with us outside. We're dunking them in a horse trough. That's how we do. But see, 
The baptism does not bring righteousness. It becomes a public declaration of what Jesus has done in their life. So it's not a magic formula. It's not something secret. It is just saying, I have closed this gap that once was there because I designed it that way. I no longer want to design anything. I want to let God have the reins. Amen? And I think it's, when you look at verse 12, apart from Christ is the first of five phrases describing this estrangement of the Gentiles before Christ came. So being without a Messiah is the fountainhead of hopelessness. hopelessness. So if you look at verse 12, apart from Christ, excluded from citizenship, you did not know, you lived without God and without hope. Have a nice day. Those are five depressing, that's a, that's a depressing list, isn't it? <laughs> so, so literally then after those five things, the, this is the worst high five ever, I have nothing. Yes. <laughs> the good news is that the story for the Gentiles changes. This is not the end of the story. Gentiles, by definition, were not descended from Abraham through Isaac Jesus, however, was a direct descendant of Abraham. In Matthew chapter 1, if you've ever read Matthew chapter 1, you know that it's genealogy city. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And you're like, is this really necessary? Am I going to have to memorize these names? Because these are rough. Everybody tried to pronounce all the names in the genealogies? May the force be with you. Because it's like, why would... He mu they must have really not liked their child because their name was 14 syllables long and got to have a nickname in there somewhere. But in Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation in Babylon was 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ was... 14 generations. So Jesus was descended from Abraham and David. The Gentiles were not. Therefore, the Gentiles were separated from Christ by natural descent. They weren't even in the lineage of being attached to the lineage and the line of Jesus. So, like, when you just look at it on paper, they were completely separated. So it's like, get on the list, <laughs> you know? And I'm sure I'm more aware of my ancestors than you are aware of my ancestors. And you're probably more aware of your lineage than I am. So I can't tell you, oh, no, sorry. I mean, if you were more anointed, you'd be part Canadian. But that's okay. There's hope for everybody. Jesus, grace, mercy. There's hope for everybody. realize I'm the only Canadian in the room, so I'll stop. But likewise, the Gentiles of Paul's day knew little of Abraham or David or Christ. So just like I didn't know much, I don't know anything about any of your all's lineage or backgrounds or ancestors or anything, the Gentiles did not know anything about the ancestry that was involved in being a Jew. So there was a definite line there. Second things, that we're told that the Gentiles were naturally excluded from the citizenship in Israel naturally excluded from the citizenship. 
<laughs> I heard one guy say, that sounds racist. Like, no, it's not racist. That's heritage. That's where they came from. They were not citizens of Israel. Two Old Testament examples include a lady named Ruth and Naaman of Syria. So listen to these stories and see why this would be significant. Ruth appears in the Old Testament book of Ruth as a foreigner from Moab who had been married to the son of a Jewish woman named Naomi. When she had met her husband in Moab where Naomi and her sons had gone during a period of famine in Israel, after her sons died, Naomi decided to return to her own land, and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, decided to go with her. Ruth apparently had learned from Naomi during the years that they were together and had come to worship Naomi's God, Jehovah. At first, Naomi tried to persuade her to remain in Moab where she would be at home, but Ruth would not. Ruth said, urge me not to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. See, notice that she could not say, your God will be my God, until she had first said that your people will be my people. There had to be this, this transaction. There had to be this coming of together that was very, very important in the culture. Is that if you said you were one thing and you were trying to get in, whoa, time out. Hold on. Something has to happen first. So Ruth confessed here needed, she needed to change in nationality before there could be a change in her God. That's pretty cool, right? But it's significant. Naaman was a general in the most powerful nation of his day, Syria. He was strong and respected, yet he was also to be pitied, for somewhere along the way he contracted le lepros wow. leprechauns. No. <laughs> Leprosy. That's what it was. Leprosy. And there was no known cure. Wow. <laughs> Through a young Jewish slave girl who had apparently been captured during one of his raids, Naaman learned of the existence of Israel of Elisha, who had been told could cure him. He went to Palestine where Elisha refused to even come out to meet him and merely sent word that he was to wash himself seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman's national pride rode to the surface. He did not want to wash in the muddy Jordan compared to the beautiful rivers of his country. However, his servant persuaded him to give it a try, and he was cured. As a result, he ordered his servants to fill several sacks with Jewish earth and take back to his own country. When he arrived there, he had a frame made with all the earth poured into it so that he could pray to Jehovah on Palestinian soil. Naaman, a Gentile, was willing to become a Jew in order to continue to rely on the grace of the Jewish God who had healed him. That's setting a precedent that, A, was risky and took some guts. When we have the opportunity, if our life has been touched and we've been healed and we've been made whole by a loving God, we have the opportunity to take that moment and take that monument with us wherever we go. 
And so now when we go, and pl- we go to work, we go to school, we go to, you go to Walmart. You go anywhere, you have the opportunity to take the things that God has done with you and bridge the gap between you and those around you. And when you stand upon that, something will happen every time. Now, it may not be the way you think it should happen, so hold on. I'm just saying. So this is why we pray, your will be done. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, in both of these cases, the Gentiles became saved, but they were saved by becoming Jewish first, which I thought, that's pretty cool. That's pretty crazy, right? So the third thing, the Gentiles are naturally disadvantaged because they were foreigners to the covenants and promises of God. We've, we've been there. When we live our lives a certain way, when we live on our agenda, on our time, and I'm the master of my own universe, go He-Man. That's for the nerds in the room. Thank you, Pastor Tim. When we have no idea what the what the future would hold, and I think I've got the future in my, why would I trust in a God where I think I'm him? The, for, the promises and the covenants are foreign to me because I've, I have no idea what they are. I remember having a conversation with a gentleman, and his name was Mike Penberthy. If you've been a Laker fan for a long time, Mike Penberthy was a sharpshooter, for the L.A. Lakers. He played alongside Shaq and Kobe. And when I taught at Desert Christian High School, he actually came and spoke at our Spiritual Emphasis Week. And so I, had, I, I was very conflicted because as a San Antonio Spurs fan, I, I had, um, <clears throat> sorry, I get weak in the knees when I talk about <laughs> I had a Lakers championship ring on my finger. I'm still seeing a therapist, but it's going well. It's going well. It still chafes sometimes. No, but we were talking to him, and he came to my Bible classes, and so the kids were just like, he's here, Q&A, fire, which means easy day for Mr. Rondo. I'm going to go in the corner, have a latte. You do your thing, Mike Penrithy. No, I loved hearing his answers because, uh, because and I don't want to be disrespectful or anything like that because, He's no longer with us, but people would ask him, have you met Kobe? And they're like, I play with him. So, yes, I've met Kobe. And so, and so, so they said, what's he like? And so he said, he's a jerk. And I'm like, he's talking about Kobe. Is there lightning going to come through my roof and smite him in my Bible room? And he said, and, and this kind of stuck with me, and it kind of goes along with what I was saying, is that when you think you're God, who else do you need to bow to? And he said, he said, probably one of the greatest minds that he's ever seen in the game, 
probably the greatest work ethic and drive and championing his teammates to be better. But he also, and I think part of this comes when the expectancy of people places you here and now you have to put yourself here even though you don't like it. I'm not, I don't know whether he enjoyed that or not. All I can say is that when we put ourselves in the place of a God, it's hard to hear what the God wants to say to us. Newsflash, we're not him. Just spoiler alert. So if you think you're in control of things, no. See, the Gentiles had no share in the promises based on the covenants that were given to Abraham, Israel, and David. They had no concept of this. So you might say that they had no share in the family inheritance. So listen to what was promised to Abraham and his descendants. They were promised land. Of Abraham, he said, So the Lord made a covenant with Abram and that day and said, I have given you this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. If you ever looked at a map, that's a lot of land. They had a deed signed in blood of Israel in the wilderness. It was said in Exodus 24, Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, Look, this blood confirms the covenant, covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. He took it very, very seriously. And unfortunately, over time, we have taken the instruction that God has given us less seriously. And we've kind of replaced the truth with opinion. We've replaced the things that need to be spoken with a watered-down truth. So I don't offend. I don't want to hurt your feelings about the choices you make. Because Jesus was like that. He was a compassionate person, and he didn't cause waves. Uh, if you believe that, then you haven't read the Bible. Jesus made waves with every step that he took. But there was no arrogance, no pride, no opinion, anything like that attached to every step it took. He was about his father's business. As should we be about our father's business and not about the business of argument. Because Jesus doesn't have that place, right? Jesus said, go into all the world and cause dissension upon the social media. Do it. Go forth and sin a little. No. He said, go and sin no more to the lady. Where are your accusers? They're not even here. So we as a people need to rise up and know that God has set a precedent for us to follow, not change. The next thing they were promised was God's everlasting loving kindness and an eternal heir to the throne. Though that sounds nice. That sounds awesome. Psalms 89 says, I will love him and be kind to him forever. My covenant with him will never end. I will preserve an heir for him. His throne will be as endless as the days of heaven. His dynasty will go on forever. His kingdom will endure as the sun. It will be as eternal as the moon. 
my faithful witness in the sky. So that, pretty, that means pretty much it's big, if you read through the lines there. It's kind of a huge thing. See, before the coming of Christ, the Gentiles were unaware of any promises for them. You might say that they were destined to relative property by their exclusion from the promised inheritance. And I wonder if sometimes they felt like, whoa, 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 this would be awesome. I, I, I heard you talking about inheritance and stuff. I, please? Could I have some? Sure. Just got to change everything. But isn't that like our lives? You see, when you, when you make the decision to follow Jesus faithfully each and every day of your life, you give up everything, but you give up nothing. Because ultimately, his ways are so much better than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And the plans that he has for you are good. They're not to hurt you. They're to give you a hope and a future. They're not to harm you or say, ha, I fooled you. No, he's not in that business. He's about the business of raising up an army. Maybe some dry bones. I don't know. It is possible. The fourth thing that the Gentiles were naturally without was hope. See, the biblical definition of hope is the feeling that is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. With no privileges in the present or promises for the future, the ancient Gentiles had no hope. They had nothing to build on because they had no foundation of anything to look forward to. No hope that things, would get, things will be good or they'll get better. They had only this self-independence, as was, was in the case of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in Daniel 5 when he says, his heart, were, his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance or had a dependence on this impersonal force of hate and fate. So he didn't want anything to do with it, and so he put this... Trust in chance. If you put your trust in fate, your demise may be of the same name, just a different meaning. Here's what some famous people have risen of, written about fate. Elizabeth Bowen said this, fate, it creeps like a rat. What a lovely picture. Fate treats me mercilessly like a storm treats a small boat. Anton Chekhov said that. We're like dice thrown on the plains of destiny. You see, fate is naturally pessimistic because it is impersonal. Therefore, it is hopeless. If you just put your faith in something random and by chance... And that's what you're going to put your faith in and trust in. I have a sure thing right here. You see, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but this baby right here stands forever. It doesn't change. Times change, truth doesn't. We have to remember that. That the truth is the truth, 
not our opinions. We need to understand how being lost is so horrible. Being lost is not just something undesirable, but it's something horrible. Those who are lost are separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the promise of God, and are without God. So finally, the fifth thing. Are we doing okay? We're all right? Are you learning something cool? If not, lie. Um, Don't do that. Just kidding. Finally, the Gentiles were naturally without God in the world. See, the implication is that the world is a dangerous place and the Gentiles naturally only dumb and deaf idols who were useless to help them. If you pray to a statue, if you pray to a rock, if you pray to a person, newsflash, oh, bottle of water, thou shalt bring forth hydration for me. Please make it so. Well, of course it is. Take the lid off and drink it. But if you have a gold statue or something graven in front of you, guess what? Nothing is going to happen because it's a thing. It's lifeless. It is dead. It is useless. It's a paperweight. But we all have idols in our lives, do we not? Mine's about this big. I should probably use it more as a paperweight. Then I could spend more time here and stop using this as a paperweight and start reading the paper within its covers, right? It's so true. Idols, we think, oh, my gosh, I think of the idols. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they had the big graven idols in in the Old Testament, the statues and everything, and they built this graven. No. What we focus on, if anything at all takes our attention off of God, it is an idol. Anything. It could be your favorite show to binge watch. It's like, oh my gosh, a new, new, new episode came out. <gasps> oh. You hold on just a second. I got to watch this. Hold on. Hold. This is getting good. We're about to find out who Batman really is. Uh, It's been in every Batman movie ever. You're not missing anything. I'm serious. (laughs) But it's a different director. It's okay, same story. Different time frame. You're not missing anything. The Jews, by contrast, had been promised God's presence. See, the Gentiles had no clue of what God's presence was, but now the Jews were promised it. First Kings, the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. They had that. He looked after them. Genesis chapter 12, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Just don't be infamous for the wrong thing. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. 
Wait, what did that say? All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Sorry, except the Gentiles. Those jerks don't deserve nothing. That sounds like God, doesn't it? Not at all. Because the story, this is not the end of the story for the Gentiles. The Jews were blessed in order to be a blessing. But until Christ came, this was overlooked. We're blessed to be a blessing, but we're blessed so we could shove you to the side and keep the blessing for ourselves. Sometimes we're guilty of that in our lives, aren't we? If I'm saying the hard things, it's because this is what I struggled with this week, so y'all just get to sit in on what Mark's been dealing with this week. But, but if it hits you between the eyes, welcome aboard. Nice to have you. See, the gospel of Christ is good news because it turns things in the world upside down. When you think about Scripture, a lot of things are just perplexing. The first shall be last. The last will be first. What? If you want to be great, you must be a servant of all. Whoa. Hold on. Join leader life. (laughs) Plug. The meek, not the strong, shall inherit the earth. And the list goes on. It's perplexing, but yet life-giving. So in verse 13 of our passage, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, the far off is a shorthand way of referring to where the Gentiles were in verse 12. See, Peter used a similar metaphor when he was preaching at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He said, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So this verse answers two questions. Who brought you near and how you were brought near? Jesus brought it near and we became near because of the sacrifice that he gave and the sacrifice of ourselves to willingly die and let Christ be Lord of our life. See, if you're looking for redemption in your natural family, you're not going to find it there. Families are jacked up. Come on, holidays. Let's be real. (laughs) We have the promise in Christ of even a greater family in the household of God, the church here on earth, and a perfect family one day in heaven. If you're looking for salvation in the next presidential election or the next big thing, you will not find it there. Sorry, not sorry. There is no big thing there to be found. Only, never mind. If you're looking for redemption through a family inheritance or winning the lottery, not going to find it there. If you're looking to find hope in your job, promotion, or a raise, or in your husband or wife or children, you will not find it there either. And if you're looking for comfort or protection or provision from the things of the world, you won't find it there. See, verse 13 says this. It also tells us finally that our redemption is by means of his blood. That is substitutionary death in our place. 
Jesus was willing to be separated from his family in heaven and to be rejected by his earthly family in order to join us to his heavenly family. What? He left the best family unit ever and came to earth to our flawedness only to join us back together with his family. That's why he came. He gave up his citizenship so he could become a citizen of one of the smallest and most insignificant nations on earth in order to make us citizens of heaven. He gave up the riches and glory of heaven in order to purchase a heavenly inheritance for us. He became poor that we may become rich. Now, don't wait for a check in the mail. That's not what it's talking about. Now, don't get me wrong. God will bless you. And it may be financially. But that's not our goal. Right? It's not our goal. Jesus gave up his secure future in heaven and placed his destiny in the, men, in the hands of men who hated him. And Jesus gave up his father's eternal love in order to purchase eternal love for us. He suffered God's wrath to earn God's favor for us. So the next time you think you're having a bad day, mm -mm. he became a stranger, a foreigner, impoverished, hopeless, and godless, that we might become with him fellow members of his family and his kingdom. And that we might have a certain hope for the future and God's everlasting fellowship and favor. So in a way, God, Jesus became everything that made a Gentile separated from God's chosen people. But he did that in order to bridge the gap between us and his father. So that we could all be part of the same family. So what does that look like for us? I'm going to try to land this Gentile gap-bridging plane. We've been doing this, a prayer, at the end of every, as, as we've been going through Ephesians. And so we're going to do a prayer again this week. And just let this be your prayer for this week. It's not a secret formula. It's not rocket science. It's not anything super, oh my gosh. But, and we've heard from people that have been doing this faithfully every day, that they are seeing a transformation. They're seeing something happen. They're seeing God doing something in their hearts and in their lives every day. Why? Because we're just taking a moment to hang out with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And only He can bring about the change and the catalyst that we want in our lives. It's only him. So let this prayer this week not only be a daily reminder, not only of where God has brought us from, but as an act of worship for what he has done, what he's doing, and where he's going to take each of us as an individual, but also as a community. So let me pray this over you guys as we wrap up this morning. God, it is such a joy and an honor to belong to you and to your people. 
We thank you and praise you for all you've done for us through Jesus' death on the cross to bring us back to you. We thank you that you are no longer, that we are no longer separated, no longer alienated, and we have a sure hope because we belong to you. We thank you that you are God and we are now your people. We thank you for the places that you have brought us out of, but we are so grateful for you moving us forward and out of what once was. As we submit our will and agenda to you, keep our hearts focused on what you have ahead, not dwell on our past. We thank you for your blood that has brought us from afar off into a covenant relationship with you. We love you and praise you for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.